I think the generations that are alive right now are going to be known for a number of characteristics. What, there's probably five or six generations uh, that are currently alive. Can you imagine how many volumes are going to be written about the, the pandemic and the coronavirus and the decisions that were made and the reactions that everybody had and psychological, sociological studies that'll be written. We're going to be known for a lot of things. I think one of the things we'll be known for is fast food, like really making fast food incredibly popular. We love our fast food. We excel at drive throughs Uh, Even before COVID-19, fast food restaurants were opening two and three drive-through lanes just to accommodate all of us who are driving through trying to get a cheap meal fast. Fast food's terrible for us, but we don't really care. We, We convince ourselves that we're making good use of our time which is another characteristic of our generations. We can rationalize just about any of us, but we love our fast food. Our clothes are stained with uh, barbecue sauce and ketchup and Polynesian sauce and Chick-fil-A sauce. We have fries under the seats of our car. We have gooey, sticky substances in our cup holders from where we have spilled drinks. We keep napkins in our glove compartment just in case. We like fast meals as cheap as possible going through the drive through We are fast food generations. And, and, and fast food can, can be convenient because it's Well, it's fast, uh, but not all meals were intended to be consumed quickly. As a matter of fact, in this series, we're talking about coming to the table. When you think about coming to the table, chances are you don't picture eating a hamburger going 75 miles an hour down the highway. That's not your idea. It's not my idea of what it means to come to the table, have a meal with some other people people, what we tend to picture is uh, being with someone, carving out an amount of time, sitting face to face, having conversations, sort of pushing back everything else that's going on in our life to spend a few minutes over a meal with somebody that we care about. Um, It's one of the reasons why Many of us uh, ban cell phones and electronic devices at our table at home. We say, no, you can't have those. You're going to talk. We're going to have conversation. You're going to eat everything on your plate. You're going to stay till everybody's everybody's done. Because we know that that phones are distracting. I've read several articles uh, lately uh, about how even if you, if you go to eat with someone and you put your phone on the table, even that is distracting. Uh, it's distracting for you because every time it buzzes, every time it lights up, you kind of give that sideways glance down at it uh, to check it. And then you add a few more mm-hmm, mm-hmms as the other person is talking. So trying to convince them you're not actually distracted and looking at your phone, but they know you are. They can tell that you've checked out for a few minutes and you're looking at something else. But it, it also communicates to the other person 
Something more important than you may happen during this meal, and I may have to tune you out for a few minutes. I mean, that's, that's sort of what we're conveying when we put our phone on the table uh, when we sit down for a meal. Uh, there's somebody who's not even at this meal who may take precedent over you at any minute, and so I'm going to keep my phone out just in case. I, I've tried to catch myself, since seeing this in a couple of places, I've tried to catch myself when I go out to eat with people and there is that natural tendency as I sit down to reach in my pocket and pull my phone out and put it on the table. I, I try to intentionally just leave it in my pocket, right? Turn the buzzer off, turn the sound off, just leave it in my pocket. Surely, we can wait 45 minutes without distractions and focus on the person we're trying to be with. Surely, we can push back distractions for an hour, maybe 30 minutes even, and not have to check our phone constantly. It's amazing that we've become so conditioned by technology and electronics that we just feel like we have to constantly check we have to constantly be in contact we have to constantly see if there's not something more important happening somewhere else than what's happening right now it's incredibly distracting and if i could just be honest with you i'm not trying to hurt your feelings but you know when it comes to this whole checking in and having our phone on the table and glancing down at it constantly can I just be really honest with you? You're not that important. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. None of us are that important. I'm not that important. You know what has never happened to me? I've never been at a meal at Chili's and my phone buzzed. And when I looked down, it said, we need to know if we should launch the miss missiles today. Like we need a yes or no from you right now. The finger is on the button. Do you think we should launch today? Maybe launch tomorrow? That is never, ha I've never had a text like that. I'm guessing you haven't either. The reality is most of the communication we have on our phones, most of the things that distract us could wait. And I get it, sometimes there's a family emergency and, and, and you wanna stay in touch. Those are rare, most of the time, we're just simply distracted from what's happening right in front of us. Now, this happens at one of the meals that Jesus shares with some friends. It, they're some of his closest friends. As a matter of fact, when you read the Gospels, you find Jesus returning to this particular home again and again. It was almost a, a place of retreat for Jesus because these friends were so close to him. Uh, it's the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Uh, they're siblings. Lazarus, the brother, Mary and Martha, the two sisters. And Jesus had this unique, close relationship with them. Now, Lazarus, some of you know this story. Later on, uh, after this meal, Lazarus gets sick at one point. Mary and Martha ask Jesus to come and, and heal him to make sure he's going to be okay. Jesus doesn't come for a few days. Lazarus eventually dies. Uh, Jesus shows up and brings Lazarus back from the dead. This is that Lazarus. Before all of that happens, Jesus is in his home having a meal, and, th and then they're the sisters, uh, Mary and Martha, and, and really they couldn't be more different. The, the, their approach, their 
perspective. As a matter of fact, we'll see it right at the beginning of this story. It's in Luke chapter 10. Luke is the only gospel writer who includes this story. Other stories about Lazarus and Mary and Martha are in other gospels. This is the only place that this story is found. Here's how it happens. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. There they are, the two sisters. And, and, and I'm guessing they were connected by the whole sisterhood deal. I, I have three daughters. I have two sisters. My wife has a sister. I'm surrounded by sisters and females. And, and most sisters just sort of have that sisterhood thing, right? That mental connection symbiotic kumbaya sort of thing they finish each other's sentences uh, they know what the other's thinking they just have this connection to one another I'm guessing Mary and Martha had that as sisters they had that connection at the same time sisters can be very different personality wise right I'm always amused by personality profiles that try to attach specific personality labels to biblical characters. I think that's kind of silly, but, but we do see personality traits emerge in the stories in the Bible. We, we find that for Mary and Martha. Mary appears to be uh, rather contemplative, uh, kind of in her head a lot, all up in her feels a lot. She seems to process things. Uh, she seems to to like being still, like being quiet. Uh, in a later story in John chapter 12, this is the Mary. Jesus is at their home again, and she anoints Jesus' feet with perfume. Just quietly, kind of slips in, anoints his feet with perfume. This was Mary, kind of that contemplative thoughtful person when Jesus first arrives after Lazarus has died Mary can't even bring herself to leave the house like her grief is so heavy she's processing everything that's going on in her life the loss of her brother what are they going to do next and and Mary just stays in the house Martha's the complete opposite right in that same scene Jesus shows up Lazarus has died Martha busts out of the house goes right up to Jesus and in my mind I, I kind of think she puts her finger in his face and says if you had been here earlier what took you so long where have you been this is Martha Martha's bold and confrontational she's aggressive she's assertive that's the kind of the difference between the two Jesus is going to heal Lazarus and he says I want you to move the stone from the tomb and Martha speaks up again and says Jesus you probably don't want to do that like it's going to smell really bad in there we, we find Martha 
often confronting even Jesus. We find Martha giving the Son of God recommendations, suggestions. You don't want to do that. I wouldn't do that if I were you. This, is, this was just the nature of who Martha was. She was upfront. She was action-oriented. She was a doer. She got things done when something needed to be done. Martha was one of those people who could see what needs to be done, and then she would go do it. In, in, in the story that, that we're reading here from Luke 10, Martha's in the kitchen. Right? She's making sure dinner's ready. She's making sure everybody's uh, glass is filled. She's bringing extra appetizers. She's cleaning up the car- carpet. In, in the story of um, where, where Mary anoints Jesus' feet with perfume, Martha's doing the same thing. She's checking on everybody. She's bringing out the appetizers. She's serving everybody. Martha was a doer. We need doers. Like we need people who are aggressive and and, and at times, in the right way, confrontational, they speak their mind, they see what needs to be done, and they go do it. This was a great part of who Martha was. That wasn't the problem. Her personality wasn't the problem. Her nature, the way she went about things, wasn't the problem. The problem for Martha was that she was distracted by all of those things. She was distracted by how much needed to be done, and she couldn't turn that off. Often, action-oriented people always see what needs to be done, and they want to do it. They, they see what needs to be cleaned up, taken care of, started, confronted. They see those things clearly, and they feel motivated to rush over and get that thing done. And, and a lot of times, that's great. But the problem can be that those sort of people keep adding more things to their list. They keep seeing more problems and trying to get involved in and try to fix more things. And so that begins to pile up on them, even though that may be a good thing. Good things can be a distraction. Right? Needed things can be a distraction. Serving, and that's what Martha's doing in this story, serving can be a distraction, right? So it's a word that's used all throughout the New Testament. Uh, It says preparations in the translation that I read, but uh, it's the idea of serving other people. We're told to serve other people all throughout the Bible. We get the word deacon. If you've been in a church that had deacons, their role is to serve the church, to serve the people. This is a good word. This is a good thing. Serving other people is a good thing unless... You've just piled so many things up that it's distracting you from the best thing. That's that's what the the Bible says the problem was for Martha. She was distracted by all of these things. Distraction in this context, uh, it's an illustrative word. It, it, It means to drag it all around, to drag it all around, the weight of it all, the burden of it all. The, the, the long to-do list, it just piles up and everything on the list is a good thing. There's, there's nothing evil on the list. It's just piled up over time. And for Martha, she had stopped making space for what she really needed, for what was really important. She just kept adding more things to 
her list. Here's what can happen. The good thing that we want to do or that we see or that we're interested in, the good thing can then become a burden. I have to do this. The good thing can become a burden that can become a distraction that pulls us away from the best thing. That's what happened to Martha. The good thing, this was a good thing. The good thing became a burden to her And then that burden became a distraction from the best thing of the moment. The thing that she most needed to be doing in that moment. Sometimes good things suck up all of our energy and all of our calendar space and all of our emotion. And we're just left depleted because we haven't given attention to the most important things. Here's what happens next in verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, to Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Right, there, there she is again telling Jesus what to do, right? giving instructions to the Son of God. She's up front. She's willing to say what she thinks, but here's what often happens when we get distracted. When we get weighed down, when we get stressed out, as Martha is stressed out, when we get stressed out with so many even good things that distract us and pull us away from the best things, we begin to project motives onto other people because of our own fatigue and frustration. We begin to project what they're doing, what they're thinking, what they're intending, or what they're not thinking, what they're not doing, what's driving them. Because I'm so frustrated, I decide that you're doing something on purpose. I decide there's a problem in you because I'm so frustrated and you're not helping me. She, she says to Jesus, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? Implication, from Martha's perspective, you don't care. Because if you did care, you would have done something by now. If you did see how stressed out I am, how burdened I am, Jesus, you would have done something by now. So, obviously, you don't care, Jesus. Her stress, her exhaustion, her fatigue, her burdens has now made her assume something about Jesus. She does the same thing to Martha. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Implication, she meant to do. She knows what she's doing, Jesus. She intended to do this. She has intentionally left all the work to me. I know what's going on in her heart. I know what her motive is. Is Martha so weighed down by it all that she has decided the, the motives and the emotions of everyone else in the room? We can do that. We get pulled in so many directions. We get so tired and, and stressed. Then we begin to think, well, other people don't care. Other people don't see. Other people don't appreciate. Right? I'm, I'm guilty. I raise my hand. I am guilty. When I get burned, when I pile things up, and, and I often pile things up, to-do lists and things that have to get accomplished and things that people are expecting 
of me. Sometimes I get that piled so high and the, the weight that I feel. Then I begin to assume things about other people because they don't seem as concerned as I am. Well, obviously, you don't care like I care. You aren't as committed as I am. You aren't as passionate about this whole thing as I'm passionate about it. I can be tempted to do this very thing. I'm guilty of projecting motives on other people because of my frustration, because of my burdens, because of my struggles. And, and because I'm that way, because I'm that way, if I had been Jesus in this moment, and I had just been blasted by Martha, if, if I had just been confronted publicly by Martha in this somewhat condescending way, I probably would have fired back in the same way. I probably would have been just as confrontational with Martha. I, I would have defended myself. I would have said, you're not being fair. And that's not at all what Jesus did, which is why he's Jesus and I'm Ken, right? That's not the way Jesus responded. Instead, Knowing her frustration, knowing the weight of all the distractions, Jesus speaks her name tenderly. Not once, but he speaks it twice. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. That the tenderness of Jesus had a way of diffusing volatile situations. Right? Just the compassion that he had. It, even when someone was in the wrong, the compassion and mercy that he had. He had a way of lowering the temperature of the whole conversation, and, and he does it here simply by tenderly calling her name. I know you're frustrated. I, I know you're discouraged. He loved her. That was his response. In spite of her outburst, Jesus loved her, and he lovingly reminded her that her life, like our lives, can just get caught up in running in so many directions. Our attention can get distracted by so many things. There's so many things we lay on the table. When we should be resting, when we should be replenishing, when emotionally and spiritually we should be recharging, when we should be connecting with Jesus, we put so many things on the table that distract us that none of that can happen. Like we, we never get that sense of being re-energized. Jesus said, Martha, look, there's a lot of good things, but really there's, the number of needed things is really small. In fact, it's only one. It's you being fully connected to Jesus. It's in your spirit and in your emotions. You being fully focused on Jesus, not pulled away all of these other things. Jesus said to Martha, you are worried about many things. And I wondered as I was reading the story this time, was it more than just preparing dinner? And maybe Jesus knew 
that Martha brought a whole lot of other things to dinner that night. It wasn't just the appetizers and the cooking and, and the clean. That was the flashpoint. That's what pushed everything over the edge. But when Jesus says, you're worried about many things, maybe Jesus knew there's a whole lot of things that have happened in Martha's life this week, this month. There's a whole, whole lot of things that are building. This is not just about dinner. You are worried about many things. Just sit here. Just be still. Just connect with the person that's right in front of you, which was Jesus. Just, just be present. Just be right here. It, it's, it's maybe a little difficult for us to understand the cultural implications, countercultural implications of this moment. Um, in, in Jesus' day, Women really weren't learners. They weren't disciples. They, they, they weren't educated most of the time. Their place really was serving in the kitchen. I, I, mean, I mean, in some ways, Martha's actually right according to culture. Mary, our place is over here. Our place is not sitting and learning from the rabbi. Our place is not sitting and learning from the teacher and this is one of many places where Jesus just kind of flip thing, flips things around at a meal because Jesus essentially says to Martha look your your role is not just to make sandwiches you're a disciple just like anybody else here I want you to learn I want you to grow I want your spirit to be encouraged I want you to take this personality that you have, this doer, and I want you to use it for the kingdom of God. Jesus is breaking down gender barriers in this moment with Martha. Come close. Push away the distractions. Be with Jesus. If we aren't careful... We will identify ourselves and our successes by cultural norms, by cultural requirements. And then we'll spend our whole life trying to prove ourselves against that list. Trying to prove that we really measure up to what other people think we should be. And Jesus is speaking into that and saying, look, that may not be a bad thing. But what's most needed is that you're connected to me. That you understand your value is in the fact that you were created in the image of God. Your value ultimately, eternally, is in your relationship to Jesus. Your growing spiritual health. That is what is most needed. So don't get distracted by everything else. Maybe you feel the, the weight today. Maybe the distractions, the burdens have piled up in your life. Maybe there's a lot pulling at your attention. If you were honest, if your life was a table, there'd be phones all over it, lighting up and buzzing, trying to pull you away from the rest, from the, the spiritual depth, from the spiritual refreshing that God most wants to give to you. The table reminds us that Jesus has called us to be with him, to push back the things of this world, to push back those things that are weighing us down, stressing us out, and pulling our attention away, and just be with 
Jesus. We, we live in a time when there are many things to distract us right now. There are many issues that distract us, and, and, and it's not wrong to be knowledgeable of issues. Uh, politics is, is pulling at us. I mean, this is a good time just to weigh the things that we're giving mental space to, the things that we're giving emotional space to, the things that we're giving calendar space to. What's encouraging us? What's building us up? What's reminding us of the value that Jesus sees in us? And what's weighing us down? What's weighing us down? Maybe it's time to come to the table with Jesus and just push all of the distractions aside. Maybe there's some things in your life, as I've realized there are some things in my life recently. They're not terrible things. They're not sinful. They just need to go. They just need to get pushed back. They, they need to come down the priority list so that my soul will be healthy, so, so that my soul and my mind can be refreshed because of Jesus. If you're weighed down by many things, Jesus calls your name today. He says, just be with me. Just push those things back and focus on your relationship to him. God, thank you that in a busy, distracted, stressful world that we live in, Jesus calls us to the table. And I think Jesus would say, don't put your cell phone on the table. Turn it off. No electronic devices. Nothing to pull you away. Nothing to distract you. Just be. Just be reminded that you're created in the image of God. You are eternally value, valuable to the Jesus who loves you and died and rose again for you. Don't let the weight and distractions of this world pile up on you. Be with Jesus. Accept his encouragement. Focus on growing in him. And if necessary, push back those things that are weighing on your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.